As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, his Manchester United team are unbeaten since the end of the World Cup and they're into the top four now ahead of Saturday's Manchester derby. We'll take a closer look at the big decisions, the man management, the playing style and, of course, the January transfer window too when it comes to Eric Ten Hag and look at why his start at Old Trafford has felt more convincing than any manager post-Ferguson. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Certainly after Sir Alex Ferguson left, there was uh, improvements to be made in the scouting department because a lot of what was done was you know, based on his instincts, his genius, um, it was word of mouth, it was network. So I understand United had to modernise, had to add data. Rashford might go alone! That is an excellent goal from Marcus Rashford! If there's a diving header on the six-yard box for him to fling himself at, he's going to do it with slightly more gusto than Anthony Martial did at, at Molyneux. United are really one Marcus Rashford injury away from, I think, a lot of this kind of sticking plaster team that Eric Ten Hag's got together at the moment, just kind of being in a lot of trouble. Laurie, let me start with you because um, obviously you've brought the cynicism to any United discussion over the last two, three years that we that we've had. Or all me, this. not you. Oh, absolutely, all you. I mean, Adam as well. To be never, honest, both never you, me. Both of you've been fairly cynical. Uh, are <laughs> you are you feeling a growing sense of optimism, or are you still slightly cautious? There's definitely caution there. And to be honest, it changes depending on what day of the week you catch me and who United have beaten or, or lost to. But um, I think the main definite positive is Eric Ten Hag and the fact that he's definitely made mistakes in this campaign, but his ideas and the way he's communicating himself and the decisions he's taking are impressive. I think it shows authority. I think it shows a clear direction. And if they can actually you know, provide the players that fit his style uh, totally, then I think, you, you know, United could be onto something really special. Do you think for the first time, just staying on, on Ten Hag before we come to the squad and so on and so forth, but on, on Ten Hag, Adam, for the first time since Ferguson, Manchester United don't have a manager that has a question mark over their future 
at the club virtually from appointment? Maybe. I mean, I think there was an even more promising period, which was, you know, now it sounds a bit silly to say, but that period where Solskjaer first came in and basically just beat everyone, you know, some pretty difficult games along the way in that I think was kind of, if maybe even felt more promising at the time. I still think at the moment with Man United, you know, you watch them in games and like they play, they give you like a good 25 minutes and then you'll watch them for 10 or 15 minutes and you're a bit like, uh, I'm not sure where this is going, even if they're playing Bournemouth, you know, they'll switch off for 20 minutes and, and a better team probably scores a couple of goals. But there's definitely, I think, a spirit, a clear spirit and unity and direction, uh, as Laurie says. And a, I think a lot of that is a strength that's come from having someone who's got the guts to make difficult decisions. But I, was, what, I suppose what I meant was, look at, look at all the other ones. If you look at Solskjaer, even when on that very good run, well... How long are they really going to stick with him? If 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 is Pochettino available? Is so and so available? Yeah. Is he really going to be the Manchester United manager for four or five years? Mourinho, really? How long is he going to stay at the club because he doesn't even live in Manchester? He stayed in a hotel the whole time. The whole time, and and backwards and backwards you could go. You could probably say the same with Van Hal at times, and you could probably definitely say the same with 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 David Moyes. There doesn't seem any doubt over who is the Manchester United manager for the next three or four years, whatever may happen to, to this squad in the second half of the season. Yeah, I suppose the only unknown is if the club sells. But I think he's in an incredibly strong position at the moment at the, at the football club, given the current ownership situation, given the makeup of the playing squad, given where the club were to where the club is now. It's definitely the strongest, I think, that an individual manager has probably been in terms of their that kind of dynamic of managing up and managing down. I think it's also a lot healthier that it's not Ed Woodward that he's reporting into as well. It all feels a lot calmer, but equally, you know, it's probably only what three or four months since we're sat here after they lose to Brighton and Brentford and they're paying over the odds mm. for Casemiro and for Anthony. So, you know, it's hard to know until you have sort of these next one or two windows. We can see the strength that he's got in terms of the playing squad in the dressing room on the pitch but does that that control and that sort of calm authority does that then exude into the market which will ultimately decide like how successful his reign is yeah i think that's the that's the big question isn't it because I mean, i've got a piece on the recruitment on the athletic that delves into this a little bit but last summer from a united point of view they will say that eric ten hag was a new manager so they couldn't necessarily say to targets you know, before April, May, which I still think would probably be enough time to convince, you know, certain uh, signings. But they couldn't say in long-term advance who their manager was going to be and what the shape of the club was going to be. So it perhaps put them at a disadvantage. They also harboured too long on Frankie de Jong, in all honesty, because he didn't really want to leave Barcelona. And so is that going to change into the summer window? We're already seeing it in January, where they're having to shop in, in the basement, you know, with Valk Veghorst, he might come in and, and do well if they get that over the line. But he's a 30-year-old striker who, in normal circumstances, United wouldn't be after. Um, it's just that they're in a very uh, small pool uh, of options because they overspent in uh, the summer. And Joel Glazer has said, there's no more money. I can't dip into the revolving credit facility again. We've already spent £200 million on the company credit card. So um, I'm, I'm sort of putting the wallet back in my pocket at this point. Will that change in the summer? Ten Hag certainly is pushing for different signings um, but I think it has come back to his point of view quite a lot 
United have got this massive scouting system. Are we going to see players ahead of the curve that United are kind of not taking a chance on, but being proactive with, with signing rather than going for players that Eric Ten Hag you know, knows or has worked with before? It's a bit like a, a massive scouting system that's currently geo-blocked in Holland. <laughs> uh, isn't it? Like, like, you know, ultimately, that's that's been the story. Even in, I mean, even in the, the exceptions that is obviously Casemiro and Casemiro. If you remember at the start of the season, it took him quite a long time to get into the team. Yeah, relative yeah. to what he'd achieved. I mean, he, the, the last time they played Manchester City, we talk ahead of the game at Old Trafford on on Saturday. But when they played Manchester City away, that was the kind of end of that run where you had this weird period where Scott McTominay was keeping Casemiro out of the team and United went to City, lost lost by six and then, then Casemiro came in. But I remember at the time of the Casemiro deal, some people pretty close to that saying, I'm not sure how involved Ten Hag has actually been in this deal. It very much felt like a club project mm. more than specifically Ten Hag, who had his, his eyes obviously firmly on Frenkie de Jong at the time. So... There has to be a point at which, although he's done pretty well in terms of the hit rate of players that he's very, very familiar with from the league that he's familiar with or that he's previously coached, there has to be a point where like, the club starts to look far more broadly at who is the best player on the market rather than who is the best player that Eric Ten Hag has coached that we might be able to sign. But, but presumably they are doing that now, but we won't see that, Laurie, for maybe another couple of transfer windows part partly because of of you know when we talk about transfer windows with clubs who have been very well run and are very well run they are looking two or three windows in the future so you, if you apply the same logic to manchester united if they are being well run now from a recruitment point of view you might not see this till maybe summer of 2024 Yes, I think at, at senior level, but I think there is an issue with they've got all these reports around the world fed into a central system. Who's taking that decisive action on when to go for a player? There's, I've spoken to lots of people that have concerns about whether or not United are still equipped to you know, pounce when they see a, a player that they, they like and, and are they fully um, confident in their judgment on those kind of players it's felt very much like Ten Hag has been the lightning rod for um, all these the players that have signed under him um, the Casemiro one was uh, yeah, they had a big debate in committee when they realised that De Jong they needed to move on from him but this was after the Brighton defeat and then they deranged they, they, they looked at, it was quite scientific I think uh, from what I'm told that they looked at the way he could play in different positions or, or with other teammates for United uh, they looked at all the different um, sort of aspects to his game his, his injury record is very good um, character references and then they decided yeah let's go for him and, and in the end they got that deal done pretty quickly okay it was a lot of money so maybe that's why but as you're saying Chappers that you, you want United to be signing players that are with this with this vast scouting network that they have that are that other clubs haven't perhaps seen and, and know to, to when to go for a player um, because there's been countless instances of them sort of deliberating over a player and kind of not going for him and then you know having uncertainties and then he's gone somewhere else and done pretty well I, I can't I can't name one player that they've signed where you've gone okay that was an unusual one and it's worked out really well actually you know credit to the guys that with the yeah, system like, who's who's going to be Man United's Julian Alvarez yeah he's he's right. one that comes right into my mind you know straight away someone that 
for not a, not a pretty big not a pretty big fee, but because of the way that your scouting network is structured, because of mm. the relationships that you've developed as as sporting directors and all of that kind of thing, you're able to do that deal. Some of that will come with Manchester United simply being more successful on the pitch and becoming more appealing. Because at the moment, if you are a Julian Alvarez, you're going to go to Manchester City or you're going to go to Real Madrid because that's how good you are. Um, so, so some of that will take time. I mean, the other thing is United have got a lot of big players to sign in the next 18 months. You know, I think there's still probably a discussion about do they get a goalkeeper, um, which is maybe becoming a little bit quieter, but I'm sure that'll still be a conversation. Probably need a right back, probably need another centre-back because, if, you know, you look at the age and injuries of Varane and unsure about Maguire. And then you look in the midfield and Ericsson Casemiro have done brilliantly, but you just wish they were five years younger, right? So, and obviously still need a centre-forward. It feels like they're playing catch-up still. So, yeah. like, you know, the priority is centre-forward, right? Like, that's the one. And you know, we might touch on who they could possibly get in the summer. I, I do think Harry Kane will come into the conversation um, because he's only got a year left on his contract. Adam, do not roll your eyes at me linking Harry Kane with Manchester United again. Um, it's been repeatedly every summer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but it feels like they're playing catch-up still on that. And I, I wonder then, as you've touched on, actually, you know, really well-run clubs are looking at, OK, well we have this player that in a couple of years will need replacing. Let's bring a player in now at this age that is in a couple of years will be ready to play first team for us, send him out on loan. United don't have satellite clubs. They don't have um, partnerships with other clubs that they can go and place these players in with a kind of control element to it um, that then that they know they can trust that process. But it always feels like they're actually they're kind of having to be quick about it because they've got a manager now that needs to win now. Okay, he's putting in long-term ideas that should bear fruit in, in years to come but this is a summer really where they should be signing players for for now but also for you know two three years time there are so many threads to unpick from that last two or three minutes just on the very top line that you said at the start of your first answer Laurie about that you spoke to people who are still not sure whether if United found someone that they liked whether they'd be able to move and get that deal done quickly mm. is that because of the number of people involved is that because of the ownership? Is that because of the structure of the club? Because in many ways, this is nothing new with Manchester United. I mean, when they were had Peter Kenyon as a, as a chief exec going back 20, 25 years ago, I can remember hearing from a, a Barcelona executive when Manchester United were trying to sign Ronaldinho. And saying it's like it's like dealing with a it's like dealing with an oil tanker. Mm. They just can't mm. turn themselves around quick enough to get a deal done. So, it, it in many ways it's always been there with them. For sure. I mean, at least in that summer they signed a guy called Cristiano Ronaldo uh, instead. So, uh, and that kind of worked out quite well. And they and they did that ahead of other clubs. There's been stuff written written quite recently about Liverpool thinking that they got him in the door, and actually Fergie or you know David Gill managed to just you know whistle it away from them. Certainly after Sir Alex Ferguson left, there was uh, improvements to be made in the scouting department because a lot of what was done was, you know, based on his instincts, his genius. Um, the scouts that were in the building, it was kind of handwritten and, and, and information was in people's heads. It was word of mouth. It was network. So I understand United had to modernise, had to add data into their system, which, uh, you know, they've only kind of recently done now with Dominic Jordan being appointed. 
in the last year or so as, as the first uh, head of data science at United. But I do wonder if they've, they've turned the dial too far the other way. And actually, as you touched on first, Chappers, that they can't, they don't have the flexibility to act quickly in moments because there is this kind of committee level um, situation where who actually makes the final call? Is there someone driving it where you go, we're doing that deal now? Um, yes, the owners are certainly an issue. You've got Joel Glazer over in Florida and Washington making decisions still on the kind of finance that he's going to provide. Um, Cody Gakpo, case in point, like I say, they overspent the budget last summer. So he had said in advance, you won't be able to spend much, if anything, in January. But they still had a discussion about Cody Gakpo. Isn't there a load of money that would have gone into Cristiano Ronaldo's back pocket in the second half of the season yeah, that, that could theoretically point. be spent? Yeah, fair point. I mean, I think it's something like £12 million, pounds maybe. Um, I mean, I, I suppose they might need that for the compensation to Besiktas <laughs> and Burnley for Valt Vegos. I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that they're, they're trying to sign a player and they need to satisfy two clubs in one deal. You know, usually it's just, mm. you could just satisfy one club, but, you know, United have picked a... And that, that's because of the circumstances. That's because they're in this situation where they're desperate for a striker. Ralph Rangnick last January was telling them, and OK, he got lots wrong as manager, but on a wider view of how clubs are built and how to be smart about recruitment. I think he's he's got a pretty decent record. And he was saying at the time, Ronaldo's going to cause you a problem. You need to sign a striker now. And I'm not saying that he was saying names with any kind of real authority on their their, their abilities and, and the, the, the prospects of getting them. But I still think there's a valid point that he was saying this 12 months ago. Um, it, it's been a repeated refrain from various managers as well. How much do... Um... How much do ownership questions affect not only this transfer window, but say the summer transfer window for them as well? Because presumably, if they if they do, if they want investment, maybe they can be a bit more open in the transfer market. If they want to sell it, they might just be going, "Well, we're just going to keep all our keep all our money so that you know we protect everything for when the sale happens." I think that's the, that's the huge unknown. It was kind of the same thing with Liverpool and Liverpool. Have countered that, I think, to a certain extent by just going out and doing Gakpo when they really needed about five midfielders this month. So you get the sense that they're going to continue to to put money in until the point where the club is sold. The, the optimist in me would say that surely Manchester United is a more desirable club if you've got a strong squad of players, you're competing in the Champions League. I just I just think over Christmas it it might be slightly bad timing for Eric Ten Hag to be going on a really good run of form winning sort of seven or eight games in a row and leading Manchester United's ownership into a place where they think, oh, we could probably get by because that's kind of what always happens, right? It's genuinely, that's genuinely a case. I mean, you look at January 2020 when Bruno Fernandes came in, it was only after they'd lost to Burnley and Liverpool that they actually hit the button on that one. And it was only after Same they'd last lost summer. to Brighton and Brentford. Same. Yeah, since they mm. then pushed the boat out and, and said, okay, bloody hell, we need to get some signings in here to support a new manager who we have faith in. Um, but I'm like, I think it's a great unknown. I had the view that this January, they might actually put more money on the credit card if they were going to sell because ultimately it's the next person's problem, the debt then, isn't it? And, you know, if that yeah. meant that they were going to get into the Champions League, the value of the club is, is sustained, is, is better. Um, but, you know, we, we have, I don't know, I hear conflicting things, but I, I don't I don't get the sense, albeit Rain wants a sale in the first quarter. I mean, we're into January the 10th already, aren't we? I, I still don't, I'm still sceptical about that happening. And I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Glazers are still, involved in charge uh, come summer. I think it's pretty unfathomable though 
for United to, to end this window without signing another forward player. I mean, if you just look at the makeup of their forward players at the moment, they are basically just relying on Marcus Rashford to do, to do pretty are you pretty much. Anthony Martial, Adam, you know, led Anthony line. Martial is present, present, not involved. It's kind of the way that okay. that, I, that I'd go with it. But no, Martial, when he's when he's fit, it's, you know, we, we could have the same conversation about Martial as we've had for sort of six or seven yeah. years, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's save let's save time. But you've got Anthony where. I think there's promise, but he's not quite there yet in terms of being someone that you can really, really rely on and trust. He might get there. It's obviously an ongoing situation around Jadon Sancho. Anthony Alanga, who looked promising kind of this time last year, has really fallen away. So you're, and, and you've got Garnacho, who's very, very young. So United are really one Marcus Rashford injury away from, I think, a lot of this kind of sticking plaster team that. Eric Ten Hag's got together at the moment, just kind of being in a lot of trouble. So I think if that was, you know, if that was to happen, I think there'd be a huge amount of heat on the board who, and Ten Hag would be very justified in saying, look, I've done absolutely everything I can with what was available to me. And if we miss out on the top four because of three or four points, that's on you. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Will you have to strengthen in January, do you think, to, to, to stay where you are or to, to push on? We always have to look for that. As we, um, as we push the players, uh, because good is not good enough, also in the organization, we have to push each other. Uh, when, there's, when there are opportunities, in the top, you always have to to be ready for that. But um, my main focus is to improve the team. His line on recruitment was very telling, wasn't it, Ten Hag? Mm. The club has brought an unimaginable number of players in recent years who have not been good enough. Most purchases have been average, and at United, average is not good enough. United shirt weighs heavily. Only real personalities who can perform under great pressure can play here. I mean, that one paragraph immediately endears him even more to Manchester United fans, I would have thought. But maybe that also 
highlights why they might move quite slowly in any transfer window because he he will be very big on making sure he's got the right kind of person. I mean, that was the intro to my piece this morning and the fact that he called scouts together, one of his first things to do was, was call the senior guys in that look at players and say, this is my idea for a Manchester United player. And obviously, as well as the technical and... And, and athletic qualities that he wants, you know, for a high pressing team. Character was the main thing, you know, personality. I mean, it's why they've signed Casemiro, why they've signed Martinez. They, ra- they rave Anthony. behind the scenes about Casemiro, yeah. don't they? Yeah. About, hugely, yeah, about yeah. him as a man. Hugely, yeah. And the football staff are, are thrilled with him, um, the leadership that he brings to the club, the, the calmness as well, the kind of intelligence on the pitch. I mean, notice that he was the player at Molyneux. I, d- I don't know if he's done this in other games, but it was just the game that I was at and noticed it. Um, Casemiro was the one that Ten Hag brought across to the sidelines during a break in play, showing him the instructions. And he specifically, it was like 70 minutes, he went, then went to Rashford, then went to Marshall to pass on the message. And six minutes later, Rashford scored. So um, there mm. we go, Ten Hag's a genius. Um, so character's a big thing. And I, I don't know if he's... I think Ten Hag's open to ideas. You know, he, he's not someone that will look at Wout Vegost and say, well, he scored two goals in 20 games for Burnley. He's, he's out of the question. He actually... I think he's open to considering how different players can fit in at different scenarios and how actually, you know, Wout Vegost clashed with his Burnley teammates. You know, they, they, they thought he was, you know, very confident, bordering on arrogance. And I don't think it worked out well for him there because of that. Whereas at Old Trafford, OK, maybe the same thing happens again. But actually, at least he'll be someone that won't be overawed by Old Trafford and, and won't be... You know, uh, cowed by big personalities, he'll he'll you know fight fire with fire. You'd imagine, um, but I do think that Tenag is open. I mean, look at Marko and Altovic. That was another reason why they went for him, and it was aborted, probably correctly. You know, he'd spent two years in China before going across to Bologna, um, and also there was sort of off the pitch stuff, wasn't there? That I think brew a big backlash amongst fans, mm. um, and and they they went away from that one. But I think Tenag is is not somebody that says it has to fit this exact brief. Otherwise, I'm not interested. I think he understands. He's quite pragmatic in in the players that are available for the budgets. Not notwithstanding the fact that yeah, he would like signings and he would like you know a team full of players that he's picked. Why are you um Why are you smiling at the Vout Veghorst? Uh, I, just can't believe, I just can't believe it's real and we're having to sit here sort of making out this, this brilliant character when he's our, our experience of him in England is that he went into a team that was struggling and didn't really do anything and but he did okay at the World Cup that's kind of as much as we know isn't it really um, his record in Germany was quite good would he start for Man United probably not in certain games I, I wouldn't be surprised which games I mean I don't know just ones that are you know, I mean, Tenag does like his, his his starting eleven to keep playing, doesn't he? But he's you know, starting like in the, the Bournemouth Camp game. Well, no, obviously not. Mm. I, I'm not. I'm not the one signing him, Adam. I mean, uh, no, no. I, I agree. It's a it's a pretty weird situation that United are getting into January. I mean, two years ago, we, sorry, three years ago, we had this with Donny Nagala, didn't we? Where United said at the time this will be the last emergency um, signing we'd make in this department, yeah, the, and here the, we are this again. Is, look, t- this this is slightly this is slightly different to the Agalo one isn't it i mean I, again this is no adam i don't th- i don't think it's that different because okay. you, you well, know, he's actually, just play, he's just been at the, he's just been at the world cup he's he's you know he's he's doing well at besiktas look he's not you know he isn't going to be in the running for the ballon d'or is he but if he if he scores between 6 and 10 goals Right, he doesn't half work if you look at the the, the pressing stats that, that he has. Yeah, and if it then 
buys them time to target whoever they want in the summer, you could actually, and I, you know, put it this way, you go back to that game at Molyneux, if there's a diving header on the six-yard box for him to fling himself at, he's going to do it with slightly more gusto than Anthony Martial did at, at Molyneux. And th- there's an element of his his character and personality combined with his work rate might just do them a job for six months. Am I, I don't th- I don't think it is that different though to previously in that United have basically known that Ronaldo's on his way out well since even before last summer in, in probably even this time last year they knew that within 18 months Cristiano Ronaldo was likely to leave the club um, so what was the plan who was the striker that they wanted who, who's the number nine that they had their eyes on look they might come out and surprise us in the summer and bring in one strike, one fantastic striker, another fantastic striker. To me, it looks a bit more like we just kind of got to January. It's like who's available, and and it might work out okay in the same way as you know some of the deals that they did in the summer. Igala scored okay. goals for United. I think five, yeah. maybe. So I mean, that, actually, right. that that loan it, right. it was it was then the fact fun. that they had to extend it another season because they again hadn't signed a striker. Igala or Veghorst isn't the problem. The problem is the guy that's starting every week. In front of them, right, and until they fix that, that's that's kind of the big the, the bigger issue. Um, just to go back to, to what you were saying about buying characters, I think you can buy characters and you can develop characters, and I think that's the bit of Ten Hag that I've been really really impressed with. Yeah, good point. So far, so you look at someone like Luke Shaw, who I think has really sort of grown in both in terms of how well he's playing. But also, you know, the fact that he's able to just slot into centre-back, play really maturely, do exactly, play basically exactly how Ten Hag wants him to play in that role. The, obviously, the, the transformation we've seen in Marcus Rashford. I think we're seeing a change in Bruno Fernandes. I think the, the style of play, he's, it's probably less stylistically pleasing in terms of less goals and things like that, but probably far more suited to what the manager wants him to do um, for for the team, and then obviously you've got those kind of, you know, players like De Gea and Varane and Dallo that are just kind of they just look happy and comfortable, and that all creates a better environment. So if you'd say like what's been the best thing about Ten Hag, I'd actually say it's the fact that he can not only identify who's a good character to bring into a group, as you would say definitely with Martinez and Casemiro, Malasia in a different way, but also that ability to to actually challenge people to basically just become better people. It's consequences, isn't it? He 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 reflected on that at Molyneux yeah. when he when he, I mean he could have lied. He could have said, "Oh, Rashford's got a small injury," and mm. but we said internal discipline, and you know they had to ask him twice, didn't they, in the BT Sport um, booth? Did we hear you right? And okay, he wasn't going to elaborate, but then Marcus Rashford scored, and he speaks afterwards, and actually it became a, a wholesome sort of story of you know manager slaps player on the wrist, um, his authority's enhanced, Rashford um, looks good because he's responded well. Um, Garnacho is one where you talk about uh, making characters. He, he's done that with him, hasn't he? And that, okay, it's nowhere near the finished product and we'll still see that, that I'm sure there'll be downs as well as ups for him. But he has come out publicly and said there were a few things actually on tour that I didn't like. That's why he wasn't playing. So he's, he's, he's putting in these consequences and no matter your status, he is enforcing them. Ronaldo, Rashford, but also then at the other end of the spectrum with Garnacho, Sancho, another one at the moment who's on a personal sort of fitness regime. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's more to that than, than just purely... Um, a, a fitness aspect so 
um, he, he's putting in consequences and that just means I think that people, players will go, okay, I respect this guy. And if he asks me to do something on the pitch, I, I will do it because I know that if I don't, I'll be out of the team. That's another thing. Selections. If you're playing well, you stay in. I mean, Martinez has won the World Cup with Argentina. He's, he came back early. You know, okay, he went to Buenos Aires and had a nice time for a day, but he wasn't like partying. He wasn't like drunk every day. He came back after 24 hours and he still wasn't in the team sort of two games later because Luke Shaw had done well. So it kind of keeps players on their toes, I think. And also, if they do sign Val Veghorst, that first training session between Martinez and Veghorst will be <laughs> yeah. uh, will be fantastic after <laughs> yeah, the World Cup. Absolutely, uh, shenanigans. Uh, a final one on the striker, and then we'll just look ahead to the the period of games that United have got coming up. If it is Veghorst for five or six months, do you think they have a number one target for the summer? I'll go with you, Adam, first before you then roll your eyes at Laurie for whoever he suggests. He's going to say Harry Kane. Harry Kane. Um, Laurie's on commission um, every every summer for Harry Kane. Um, he's just a no, good player. He is. He's a brilliant player. Um, it's it's just it's a bit like the Casemiro one, right? It's how much do you spend on someone? How long do they have to give you? Um, I I don't know. I would bet you know you would hope that they that they have a pretty clear idea in terms of the two or three players that they're targeting. But I think this is an issue for quite a lot of clubs. Mm. that are looking around the market and looking... I remember a few years ago being at a press conference of Arsene Wenger when he was at Arsenal, kind of bemoaning the lack of number nines, sort of saying how, you know, South America was developing better number nines than than Europe at the the time. I think that's probably true when you look at Uruguay and Argentina and Brazil in particular. So so it's not like you could instinctively look at the market at the moment and think... Well, there's him, there's him, there's him, and they'd all be great fits. I think that is the cha- that is genuinely the challenge that the, that the major clubs have at the moment. It's why Manchester City went through two, two years without without having the striker, pretty much, um, and were able to to make it work. And then you know, even someone like Darwin Nunes, who you know, when you look at him in terms of, I've never seen someone who looks so much like a perfect number nine in terms of the physique and. Yeah, the, the the athleticism that he has and the ta- the skill that he has, but it's not been easy for him. I think I, I do think long term he'll be absolutely fantastic for Liverpool, um, but but it's not easy. It's a really that's a really difficult market, and it's why this conversation always comes back to Harry Kane hmm. because because you've got someone there who is who is absolutely proven. Um, but there's going to be a lot of clubs looking for a striker. There's something you've got. You know, Newcastle went out, spent sixty million on on Isaac. Mm. Um, from from Real Sociedad, obviously he's had injuries, but it's still not sure whether whether they'll have to go back in for one. Chelsea are basically just relentlessly signing nine and a half tens rather than a straight out out and out frontman. Arsenal have only got Gabi Jesus, so and, and Spurs at some point are going to have to replace Harry Kane. So it, it's a really tough market. That's my way of saying I don't have a clue. By the way, <laughs> just in about two and a half minutes. <laughs> I think United need to have this summer as one where they they just just take a chance a little bit maybe like I don't maybe that's naive of me to say and it's a lot of money that it's going to take but I think they need to 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 go for a centre forward that that can be a centre forward for a number of years because they've signed Romelu Lukaku that was it basically uh, you know in in the last several seasons and he, he lasted two years and okay you might say that didn't work out. But actually, they ended up selling him for basically what they bought him for. So, so really, he, he came in, scored scored quite a few goals. Didn't fit the new manager, 
and they sold him. So at least they bought him at an age where he had resale value. So, I mean, as you touched on, they, they didn't go for Darwin Nunes last summer or even really, it was before that actually, when they could have got him for, for less money than Liverpool paid for him. And I still think, I know he's had a chaotic time at Liverpool and people criticise him, but his, his actual goal record is like one mm. in two, really. Mm. Um, Isaac is another one that I think is a, was a, always a promising player and Newcastle have taken a chance on him. 60 million is a lot of money, but at least again, you've got a striker there that, that will be there for a number of years and you hope that Eddie Howe can work with him. I mean, Goncalo Ramos, you know, to be honest, came into my <laughs> sphere at the World Cup yeah. He's obviously a very good player, hat trick, you know, to replace Ronaldo. He is someone that, you know, United have looked at and Eric Ten Hag I think is is an admirer of of what he does. Do they ask Benfica about him this summer? Again, it would be perhaps ahead of the, the curve on, on when you'd ideally like to sign someone like that. But I think United are in that position where they really just need to to try because at the moment they, they keep on having to patch things over. Uh, the the other the other issue United have is that I mean, I mentioned it, Premier League clubs that were looking for strikers. Real Madrid are going to need someone to replace Karim Benzema. Bayern Munich still haven't replaced Robert Lewandowski in terms of an out and out and out number nine. Um, and they like Kane, don't they? They like Kane, and also Barcelona are going to have to replace Lewandowski in the next <laughs> eighteen months. And PSG are going to have to spend some money on um, if if Kylian Mbappe leaves. I mean, just on Mbappe before United fans get any get too excited that I don't think that's one that has any chance whatsoever um, of United getting involved in that one this summer. And, and on the field, very quickly, Laurie, there's now a, a, a big week here because it's Manchester City and Arsenal and in between they've dropped the Crystal Palace game as well. Yeah, huge. I mean, yeah, Premier League schedulers, thank you from United fans uh, giving a fixture 10 days ahead of schedule at a ground that is very difficult to get to particularly on a, a weeknight. That, that's going to be the real test. I mean, it was, I know people might um, always sort of roll their eyes at, at Roy Keane having a, a dismissive approach to anything that's remotely positive, but his response ahead of the FA Cup tie to, are you impressed with Manchester United? was not really, you know, they haven't played anyone yet. And okay, maybe I wouldn't go that far because I think they've been impressive in the, the victories they have had. But this is the real test of it. As, as Adam mentioned before, you know, City blew United away at the Etihad 6-3. And this is a City team that actually has shown vulnerabilities, um, you know, losing at home to Brentford, drawing against Everton. So, you know, that's not to say that this City team can do that to anybody. Um, so I, I will be interested in to see how United have adjusted, Eric Ten Hag in particular adjusts to facing Man City. Um, Arsenal also have on a really good run of form, but they 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 have struggled, I think, to create um, in recent weeks, uh, certainly certain matches. So I do think that whilst they're huge games and they are ones that perhaps United shouldn't be expected to win, You know, certainly not both of them. I do think that they're a really good barometer of where they're at. And if they do win both of them, then you know people will get very excited. And maybe that'll be the thing, rather than United losing matches, that convinces the ownership to actually put their hand in the pocket and, and kind of go, OK, we're going to support Eric Ten Hag in this kind of drive to try and finish the season successfully. But if United were to win all those, those three games, um, everything would go completely nuts. Yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd essentially be in a title race, but that's not going to happen, is it? So, <laughs> um, I think if they were to come out of that week with like five points, that would be a huge success. Yeah, keep the uh, momentum also, going, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think also it's um, really interesting to see how he does set up against Man City because he basically plays the same team every week in a very similar style most weeks, and you know, playing with Ericsson and Bruno 
against Man City away, they were swept aside. Admittedly, there wasn't Casemiro, but there's still a lot of games where you watch United and it feels quite open. But Bournemouth, he said it was Villa, like a tennis match. But, yeah, Villa, they lost. Villa, Villa. Villa swept aside and, a, a midfield of Casemiro and Eriksen as well, didn't they? Well, well, I mean, that had Bruno not playing and Ronaldo playing. So I suppose that's right. the, the one element that you maybe go, OK, was that the, the defining factor? But I, I accept that even more recently, yeah, the Bournemouth game, he said, was end-to-end at 2-0 and, and they could have conceded chances. Will, will he? But, but, I mean, but, but at, the, at the same time, when, whenever he sort of brings Fred or McTominay on to stiffen it up, they don't, they never don't, they don't really seem to look less open. Yeah, they they well they go forward, don't they? They kind of say exactly. Fred Fred tries to win the ball yeah. high and, and and make something happen weirdly. But it will be interesting. I mean, the 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 result of the Etihad, he said, was based on players not showing enough bravery on the pitch to to fulfil his instructions. So basically, you know, trying to win the ball higher up and, and backing your teammate up in those areas. And then what happened was they had a sort of disjointed team where the midfield was wide open and City just picked them apart. Will he stick to that? sort of methodology against City this time or will it be a bit more pragmatic I'm, I'm interested to see um, we will uh, we will leave it there Laurie's article on um, on the recruitment is on the athletic now which Adam is raving about aren't you on social it's media really, it's actually really good even if you I mean if, if you've got if <laughs> you sound, why do you sound so surprised know, yeah. no it's really really good I read it I was impressed there's something called was it uh, Mantrack Tracker Man. Tracker Man. Mm. We've not yeah. even mentioned Tracker Man in this podcast. Yeah. But Tracker Man is, is the secret behind Manchester United's recruitment. So you need to go and read that. Um, <laughs> You're on commission and, for me, aren't you, Adam? <laughs> yeah. It's the only way well, I make any money. Um, <laughs> also, also, I'm guessing Tracker Man may feature on uh, Laurie's Talk of the Devils uh, twice weekly United podcast. Is it on there? It will do. We haven't actually had right. a podcast yet, Chappers, but thank you. You've, you've sort of half written that script for us there. Right. So. I'll, I'll and, produce and your we, podcast. And, and we will be back here in 10 days for the Manchester United Crisis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, talk of the devils uh, with Laurie. Listen to that. Uh, read his really, really good, no surprise in our voices, article on recruitment and tracker man uh, on The Athletic. You can subscribe to The Athletic for £1.99 a month for a year at theathletic.com slash football pod and we'll be back with another episode for you tomorrow afternoon I would have read your article Laurie but for some reason the powers that be have stopped my athletic subscription oh wow I can so, make a few calls if you want Chappers thanks um, they we're it, all doing each other favours <laughs> just just to add in it's really really good maybe but it's also really really long so pour yourself a brew before you um, pitch up and read it there you go that, that's enough plugging and everything thank you very much <laughs> see you tomorrow The Athletic <laughs>